0: Our mortgage team happens to be an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. This advantage often allows us to get you a better rate, which can save you monthly and lifelong money through a refinance or help you with a cash out refinance, cashing out some of your home's equity to use for life.
2: Delnick Michael it is always good to talk with you and connect with you and we do have some questions that have come in since uh, since we weren't here with you live last Monday my apologies for that by the way but I wanted to start kind of our conversation. <laughs> you had a little time off, which is wonderful. So um, could I just chat Asbury Revival or Outpouring with you just a little bit to to get kind of your impressions, of what you've been hearing? There's been a lot that's been happening around it. We chatted with uh, Charles Morris just a few moments ago about his experience, because he's down there right now. just wanted to know what you're hearing and what your thoughts are.
1: Well, I, I didn't go there. Uh, many There are several faculty members from Moody that did, okay. and... Uh, all the reports were really great. I'm not uh I've read reports that are great. I'm I think that uh, uh first of all, we can't judge this revival over whether how much God is going to use it. I'm not doubting it. I'm not questioning it. Uh I do think the first thing we need to remember is that true revivals have lasting impact, mm-hmm. enduring impact. Uh so for example, I went to see Jesus Revolution this weekend. Okay. I think that was the greatest outpouring of the Spirit in modern times. Maybe in history, I don't know, it was a tremendous, re- uh, in American history, I mean. Uh, it was a tremendous revival, uh-huh. and we still see the the impact. Uh, I see it personally, uh, but in the movie, of course, you see Greg Laurie uh, comes to know the Lord, and he's still serving today. What what I see is that there are so many people in, and and the movie didn't de- detail this, but it it uh, there was a great revival among Jewish people during that time. And today, I see all the leaders of Jewish ministry all became believers during that Jesus revolution uh, in the late sixties, early seventies. So there's a lasting impact. I would say, well, we have to wait and see. The second thing is uh, that that we. Um, we need to not try to manufacture it. One of the things that you'll see about a revival—it kind of happens all over the place without people trying to manufacture. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's the spirit of God. I was really struck by John three eight when talking about revivals. Uh, that you know there are people. Who say, Why can't we do it here? Why can't we do it here? Uh, well, you don't do it. It's it's what John three eight says. It says. Uh, the wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit's going to work in people's lives, we we can't control that. Mm. Uh, we can't manufacture that. We pray for it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's something uh, that I would be cautious about, trying to manufacture what happened at Asbury and other places. Maybe it will. I don't know. Uh, one of the things that I know is I became a believer in, during the jesus revolution but i didn't know anything about it and there were all these people i know who became believers in that period from about 1968 to 1972 or three and they didn't know it was and then when we became believers we saw this was an outpouring of the spirit we're part of this great big movement that's Mm. happening Mm. and so you don't uh necessarily plan to manufacture it you just trust god that he'll do what he wishes so that's what i would say i'm really grateful for what god is doing there among the young people uh, in Asbury. And I, I I pray that God would spread that around our country and around the world.
2: Oh, thank you for that. We're You're hearing you. the voice of Dr. Michael Rydelnik. Uh, just love your take on what's going on and then also the lasting impact that needs to happen. And uh, Tommy, it looks like we got some questions pouring in for Dr. Rydelnik.
0: Yes, they're coming on in. And, you know, one of the things uh, that we saw in the movie, uh, the Jesus Revolution, were a lot of baptisms Mm -hmm. that were happening. And so this person is curious about the Old Testament and baptizing. Are there any records of baptizing in the Old Testament?
1: Well, that's where baptism comes from, the Old Testament. Uh, When you look at uh, the situation with with, uh, when Aaron becomes high priest, what happens? He goes through a ritual bath. Mm. ritual oh. washing uh all those ritual washings in the temple or for ministry that that's the source of new testament baptism so john the baptist doesn't appear and uh start to people say hmm wonder what he's doing we, we we've never seen this before ritual washing symbolic baths we, what is going on where did he come up with this no it's <laughs> it's rooted in the bible
0: Oh, so i I have never known that the connection between the washing and baptism and yeah. the, and you had to wash yourself to become when you're unclean, to become clean yeah. again, all that. yeah, you had to take and a bath so, wash your clothes. Yeah,
1: Have you been to Israel, Tabby? I have, okay. So if you remember the southern steps of the Temple Mount? no, they you don't remember the southern steps?
0: I don't remember just because it was a long time ago, but <laughs> okay. I take your well, word for it. go ahead. <laughs>
1: they they've excavated the southern steps. And one of the things that you find over there by the Southern Steps are ritual baths. Because ah. as people would go to the temple, they would uh, have ritual purification by going to a ritual bath. It's called a mikvah, or plural mikvahot. And so uh, really what you have with baptism is a form of mikvah. Ah. And, and that's... So by the time you come to the first century, this is prevalent in Judaism, and John the Baptist starts uh, baptizing and It's nothing. And one of the things that... Uh, Later on, well, that's prevalent in Judaism of the first century, is proselyte immersion, that when a a Gentile would convert to Judaism, one of the things they had to do was go into a ritual bath and had to be dipped in the water completely, going in the water as a Gentile, coming up as a Jew, uh, and uh, they they would be watched to make sure every hair on their head was under the water, Mm -hmm. then they'd come up. And that's the root of Christian baptism where you identify with your leader, your teacher, your rabbi, Jesus. You go under the water, and now you come up, and you're identified with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so it's proselyte uh, baptism that probably was the background for, not that a person would convert their e- ethnicity like in proselyte baptism, but the identification with, with their Messiah, under the water, up out of the water, like Romans 6, you died with him, were raised to life with him.
2: Okay, wow, that is just so a beautiful picture. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Dr. Rydonik, thank you so much for that. We do have another question that came in. It's surrounding uh, the Apocrypha in the Catholic Bible. The question is, do Catholics consider this the inspired Word of God?
1: Yeah, they do. Uh, it's, it's quasi-scripture, not fully scripture like the rest of the Bible, but the reason for it you know, the, the the doctrine of canon was not complete uh, until after the Reformation. Here's why. Uh, we, we had the canon, uh, obviously, by about the 3rd or 4th century of the mm-hmm. New Testament. But then when Luther and other Reformers started saying sola scriptura as a Reformation, and they said there are certain doctrines that we cannot find, in the scriptures that were part of the Catholic teaching, they, the Catholic uh, leadership had the Counter-Reformation in Trent, the Council of Trent, 1546, and they could find some of the teachings that they had in the Apocrypha. And so therefore they uh, confirmed the Apocrypha as part of the scriptures to justify some of the teachings that that the Reformation was objecting to. So, mm. uh, as a result of like purgatory would be one of them, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, they use the apocrypha to justify it. And so as a result of that, that's when the great divide happened between the, the it's not like they added it cause there was never an official church council determining the, the cat, the extent of the canon of scripture, mm-hmm. but it had never been thought of as full as Scripture at all. there were good religious books. And now the the church at the Council of Trent said they are sort of a second category of Scripture so they could justify their doctrines. And that's one of the real uh, big differences from the Protestant Reformation to Catholicism, which uh, many people, and Greek Orthodoxy for that matter.
0: Greek Orthodoxy, do they use the Apocrypha as well? Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, that seems kind of scary to me, Dr. Rydell, like, is to find some religious books that kind of justify my theology that that aren't in Scripture. It just seems like a scary footing for somebody like me.
1: Well, I agree, but on the other hand, just remember this. It wasn't like the Apocrypha was some foreign book or not uh, recognized as, as somewhat holy. Okay. They just weren't part of the canon. It was never established as a canon. But they were considered good religious books. Uh, but not part of the canon. Uh, the, the problem would be, for example, there are good religious books on the Old Testament that Jewish people believed, uh, the Mishnah mm-hmm. and the Gemara, but uh, one of the ways I differ with Rabbinic Judaism is they give that more authority than I would, and there are things in there that I don't agree with and they say, but the, the Mishnah teaches, and I'm like, well, yeah, but that's not part of Scripture, you know, and, mm. uh, and so we just have to be really careful. I, I don't want to be disrespectful of people who have different opinions. On the other hand, sure. uh, I, I do want to stick to just what the Scriptures teach. But yeah. hey,
0: so, so, this question has several parts, but we may only be able to get to the first part. And okay. So, I'm going to read that one. We hear a lot about things that we fear in life, but the word says to fear the Lord. It is the beginning of wisdom. Please explain what fear in fearing the Lord is. I've heard it said that it would be like you would not want to do anything to break the Father's heart. Well,
1: I think people get all sorts of nervous when they see the word fear and they think it's only used exclusively of this one thing, of course it's used in you know, people were fearful. That's, that's normal, mm-hmm. you know, human emotion when situations, but we are supposed to fear the Lord. It doesn't say, uh, that it, we won't fear anything else, but we should fear the Lord. Listen, let's be honest. Uh, Tom, you're married. Yes. You better fear your wife too. There's some things you something. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the fear of the Lord is, uh, it's it's not just reverence or awe, as people say, oh, we reverence, and we do, that's part of it, but it's a reverential fear. Uh, when my son was about eight or nine years old, we were on a bike ride, and he heard me preach that morning about the fear of the Lord, and then he said, Dad, I don't understand why you talking about fearing God, because I, I don't you know, I don't think we should fear God. He loves us. And I said, well, I love you, don't you? Don't I? And he said, yeah. I said, do you fear me? He said, no, I don't fear you at all. I said, really? What if I caught you in a lie? He said, oh, you'd kill me. <laughs> so, uh, Which I wouldn't. But you, you know, my point is that he recognizes that there's an authority that mm-hmm. comes with being our father, that I could, there could be some issues that would transpire should he do something like that. And I think that's what we have to remember, that God is sovereign, he sees what we're doing, and we need to fear the consequences of what we're doing uh, as we revere him. Mm-hmm. I think that's what the fear of the Lord is.
0: Mm, because of that awesomeness of who God is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the,
1: but, yeah, but in a sense, perfect love casts out fear, that sniveling, fearful, oh, God's gonna be mean to me fear, uh, that's what perfect love casts out. But a reverential fear, uh, thats what that's what we should have, that's mm-hmm. the normal, healthy fear.
2: Okay. Yeah. That's the nuance. Yeah, definitely. Fear fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I think until you get to that point, it doesn't matter what path you're on, you're going to find yourself in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so I kind of love that particular scripture and you know, this, n- let me go to this next part of this question, Michael, and here's what they said It's I've heard it said many times that when we do something wrong or have a certain situation, we just need to forgive ourselves and move on, but they don't see that teaching in the word of God. So just kind of struggling through that where people keep saying, I just need to forgive myself and move on. Is that a correct doctrine or? I,
1: you know, I- I think what happens is, I don't think it's a matter of forgiving ourselves. I think what happens is when God forgives us, the Bible says if we confess our sins, by, by the way, all our sins are forgiven when we believe, past, mm. present, future. We have a relationship with God. We're his sons and daughters. However, there is a block of fellowship, a blocking mm. of our intimacy with God when we sin, and that's what we confess and we're restored. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to con- and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God forgives us. But mm-hmm. I find ourselves getting, I find people getting really mad at themselves. Once God forgives us and fellowship is restored, it's like they, I don't deserve this, you know, because I should have known better. And they just don't move on. Mm-hmm. But the question is, do we let God forgive us? And if he really does forgive us, then we can just move on. We don't have to keep beating ourselves up. And, uh, and I think it's a matter of arrogance. We think, oh, mm. I should have been better. I should not have sinned. Come on. Don't we Don't we have a recognition of who we are? Mm. Fallen, weak creatures. Of course that's why we sin. So I'm not saying that the Bible teaches we should forgive ourselves, but I do think that when God forgives us or someone else, if we sin against them, and they forgive us, then we need to move on and and uh, and yeah. uh, and and not not hold it against ourselves and think too much of ourselves. Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe another way of saying it is to simply receive God's forgiveness that he's extending to you. Receive yeah. it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: okay.
2: And that might go into this next little part of this question. Yeah. So it has to do with shame and guilt. are, are they the same thing? Are they different? Or sin uh, and guilt is yeah.
0: what sin and guilt. Sin it says, and guilt? Says they're both forgiven. Yes. Um they, they speak of it in Psalm thirty two that God forgives the guilt and the sin. Forgives yeah, our sin God, and the guilt of our sin.
1: Yeah. I, I don't you know, I really don't understand where this person is coming from yeah. uh, with these questions. they they're, they're I, I don't mean to be no, that's okay. rude, but I just don't get it. You know, if 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 God forgives our sin, then our guilt is removed. Uh, the the sense of, of guilt, of, of sort of like of, of feeling beat down and you know he yeah. describes in Psalm 32 the, the feeling, the sense of guilt that he had, even though he didn't realize what it was. He says, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle, my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the, the summer as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I didn't conceal my iniquity. He confesses his sin. You took away the guilt of my sin. Mm-hmm. What it's saying, that pressure that God was putting on him of conviction, that guilt, God removed mm-hmm. because he knew he was forgiven. So, again, I think the reason people keep feeling that is because we think too much of ourselves and think we shouldn't have sinned. We go, you know, I should have known better. Mm-hmm. God may forgive me, but I should have been better. I, I'm better than that. I... Good grief! We're not better than that. That's
0: <laughs> yeah. That's who. That's that's who. That's why Jesus came. I, yeah. I, I think I can understand where the question that question is coming from because she's trying to figure, or he is trying to figure out the difference. And I would say the guilt of your sin is your emotional reaction to the sin. But you could have sin without guilt, without feeling the guilt. I, I mm-hmm. think. And so but both I think are gen- given.
1: A genuine believer, With- like David, uh-huh. is, is a genuine believer. We feel guilt. We may not be aware of it all the time, but it keeps coming up. Mm-hmm. there's the pressing if there's a sin that we're not dealing with in our life it it god will not let us go mm-hmm. yeah uh and uh and i think that's it, that may not feel at every moment mm-hmm. but but i do think that once we're we confess and our fellowship with god is restored we need to s- s- allow that guilt to be removed and when it comes up you say well that's dealt with
2: Mm-hmm.
1: that's dealt with and I, I can move on mm-hmm. and we need, I, I once heard I read in a book actually didn't hear it D. Martin Lloyd-Jones say we need to talk to ourselves more than we need to listen to ourselves and <laughs> what he meant was that we need to tell ourselves the truth when we lie to ourselves like God is still angry with me about this I should have known better I should have never done this I feel so bad about this God forgave you move on just move on. And if it's a sin against another person, go make restitution. Apologize. Ask for forgiveness. Move on. Don't live in the mire, because that's what God came to do in the Lord Jesus, to lift us from the miry clay.